It's a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. We're going to be in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you would turn in your Bibles there with me this morning. Um, it's been a while since we've been in 1 Corinthians, but we're going to keep on trucking through this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is continuing uh, his, his instruction to the Corinthians in regard to Christian liberty. It seems like the Corinthians had a real problem understanding how to exercise their liberty in Christ. In the first four chapters, Paul deals greatly with the divisions that, that occurred within the church. And if you were with us then, you'll remember that they, 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 were, they were dividing based on what teacher they liked better. And don't we even see that in the church today? Well, so-and-so is my pastor. I really like this person. You know, one, of the, one clarifying thought that I continually have when I'm tempted to think that way is this, and don't miss this, that you, me, and every other believer, we're going to spend eternity together, right? So it really doesn't matter. We're, we're going to spend eternity together. So there's going to be no divisions in heaven. Amen? We're all one in Christ. And that's the point that Paul brings across. See, they were, there were even some that were saying, you know, okay, you can be of Paul, you can be of Apollos, you can be of Cephas or Peter, but I'm of Christ. And though that's even the right answer, that's the wrong heart, isn't it? Because what are they still doing? They're still separating themselves from the others. So Paul says, no, guys, we're all one in Christ. In chapter 5, Paul deals with an issue of, of the issue of their acceptance of a man who was living in incest, a man who was having uh, relations with his stepmother. And he says, this shouldn't be, guys. The liberty we have in Christ is not to approve of sin. In chapter 6, he, he speaks of how, uh, and he rebukes them for going to court against one another, for suing one another. You know, we're, we're very big in our country on our rights, aren't we? We hear people talk about that a lot, don't we? Well, it's my right to do this. The Constitution says fill in the blank. And I don't think there's anything wrong with approaching life in a, government, in a governmental way um, by the Constitution. But as, are we, as Christians, are we to live our lives by the Constitution of, of the United States of America? Are we? Is that the document which we're called to stand and live on? Is it? It's not, is it? What document are we called to live by? The Word of God. This is our Constitution. And the Corinthians were taking each other to court over petty issues. And what they were doing is they were ruining their witness. Because as they would go to court, the world would go, see, there's no true unity among you. There's no true brotherhood. So Paul says, listen, guys, you're so concerned about your rights and what is yours that you're ruining your witness in the gospel. And these things ought not to be so. And he then, in, in chapter 7, talks about the principles governing marriage and governing um, uh, whether or not we are to be married or, or, or single. And, 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 he, and he speaks of that as a gift from God, whether or not we're called to be married or not. Celibacy is a gift and so is marriage. What has God called you to? 
And in chapter 8, and to kind of catch a running start, look with me in verse 13, because Paul, in verse 13 of chapter 8, is talking about the issue of meat that was sacrificed to idols, which was a very big deal in their culture. Now, thank the Lord, when we walk down the street, we don't see a temple to Aphrodite, right? We don't have the same struggles. We don't have the same idols. Believe me, in America we have idols, don't we? We call them the American idol even, right? We make TV shows out of them. But back in their day, they were coming out of this idolatry, out of this worship of false gods. And there were many people who were deeply entrenched in this, got saved, look back at the world system with disgust, and you understandably wanted nothing to do with it, right? So even the meat that was sold in the marketplace in their day and age was oftentimes sacrificed to idols. Sometimes you would know whether it was. Sometimes you wouldn't. Sometimes when you were invited to someone's house or, or, or you, were, you were there for a, a town feast, much of the meat would be sacrificed to idols. So this was a very real problem. What do we do, Paul? Is it okay to eat this meat? And Paul says, there is no law against it. You're free to eat of it. He says, but there are those who are stumbled by it. And you can understand that, right? You can understand that a good place for a former alcoholic who's a believer, a good place for him not to be is to go into the bar to witness. We can understand that, right? Because it can be a, a big stumbling block. And it was the same way back then. They were stumbling over this issue. And Paul says this in verse 13. Of chapter 8. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Especially for us Americans, because we like our filet mignon, don't we? We like our barbecues. Carne asada, man. Yeah. I'm a carnivore. I'm, I'm just. You know, you put a salad in front of me and I'll eat it because they tell me it's good for me, but it's like I get through it as quick as I can so I can get to the actual food. In fact, I heard a joke one time about someone having a salad put in front of them and they said, this is, this is the food that my food eats. Why are you giving this to me? <laughs> we love our barbecues, right? But you know, Paul says, I'm willing to give it all up. I'd, I'd be willing to give up meat completely if it stumbled my brother. I have liberty to eat, but I'm willing to lay it down. And this is the principle that's going to run throughout chapter 9 that Paul's going to reaffirm. He's talking about Christian liberties. How Christian liberty ought to be used. How your rights as a Christian ought to be viewed. How they ought to be carried out. How they ought to be exercised. Because we have great freedom in Christ. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that we're not bound by the law anymore? So if we're free, and all things, as Paul said earlier in the book, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. How do we know what is profitable and what is not? Paul sets himself up as an example here. 
Look at verse 1 of chapter 9 with me. He says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now why does Paul spend the first two verses of his self-witness, of his self-evaluation, asking these rhetorical questions? Because they are rhetorical questions, right? My daughter still doesn't understand. She's four years old. She doesn't understand rhetorical questions yet. Or sarcasm very well. So sometimes when we're, really, Liddy? And she's like, yeah. No, really, Liddy? Yeah. No, you don't get it. I'm saying it's not good, you know. But we understand this as we read. Paul's saying, am I an apostle? Well, he doesn't answer the question. So obviously we should know the answer. Yes, he is an apostle. Is he not free as an apostle? Of course he is. He has the same freedoms that you and I do in Christ, right? Doesn't every Christian have the same freedoms in Christ? We do, don't we? You know, sometimes there can be a wrong idea that there is a different standard for people who are in the ministry as far as how they are to live in the regard that sometimes we look at them and we think, they operate by a different set of rules than we do. Now, I absolutely agree that God will give us different convictions by His Spirit. And what may be okay for one person, and one person has the complete freedom to do something that's obviously not strictly forbidden in God's Word, another person may feel a conviction against such as meat sacrificed to idols, as Paul outlined in the chapter before. But the reality is, is that we're all called to follow Christ, right? If you're a Christian, what does Jesus say? If anyone desires to come after me, Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Th that's, that's an exhortation for all of us, isn't it? Jesus wasn't just talking to the apostles. That's all of us. And Paul's saying, listen, you're kind of looking at me like, like I need to live by a different standard than you do. And he, and he outlined that earlier um, in the book, and, and, and he kind of rebuked them for that because they thought, well, well we're rich because we're special, but Paul, he's not really that rich, you know. He's just kind of different from us. And they had this exclusive mentality where they would exclude Sadly, even the Apostle Paul. But Paul says, am I not free? Have I not seen, he goes on, the Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Verse 2, he says, if I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The reason Paul starts out with these two verses is, is because in chapter 9, he's going to kind of kill two birds with one stone. He's going to give us a good example of how to use our Christian liberty, but also he's going to defend his apostleship because that was greatly under attack at this time in Corinth. In chapter 4, starting in verses 14 down through about verse 21, Paul says uh, to them that you, know, you may have many teachers in the Lord, but you have one Father in the Lord. That is one person who led you to the Lord. And he said that there are some among you who are puffed up thinking that I'm not going to come back. And what we, we kind of get from, from these uh, uh, letters to the church in Corinth was is that there were false teachers coming in the church 
saying, you don't need to listen to Paul anymore. You need to listen to me. We're going to see that more clearly as Paul goes on here. But he says in verse 2, If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse 3 goes on, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Or is it only Barabbas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war is at his own expense. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God's concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So what's Paul's case here? He's talking about his rights as an apostle, right? Because he had spent a great deal of the book just before this telling them of their liberties and their rights and how they ought to exercise them. So now Paul sets himself up as an example. And at the end of chapter 8, as we saw, he says, I'd be willing to not eat meat. I'd be willing to lay down my rights if it means that my brother is not stumbled. If it means that my brother can be built up. If it means loving my brother in the Lord. I'd be willing to do that. But what else was Paul willing to do? Well, he outlines here that as he came to Corinth, it was his right as their apostle, as their missionary, to receive support from them, right? And we understand this. When we have a missionary come from overseas, guess who foots the bill? We do, right? Because we understand they're serving the Lord, man. They're coming here to, to, to encourage us. They're coming here to tell us, give us a, an, an update as to what's happening out in the field, whether it's in Africa or anywhere else. And you know what happened? And I didn't get to go to uh, uh, the, the last mission trip where they went to Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. But when we went to Romania, we hooked up with a church. And you know what ended up happening there? We fully planned on getting a hotel and having uh, money for food. But as we went there, you know what the pastor and his wife did? They said, you're more than welcome to stay with us. And we were like, cool. (laughs) That's great. Because then we get to fellowship every night. And by the way, the food was awesome. Dina, Pastor John's wife, was an amazing cook. So we, we just, we got to share in fellowship and food, and it's understood that when you have someone going and serving, that, hey, you want to take care of that person, right? And Paul says, hey, listen, as, as your apostle in the Lord, as the one who was sent to you to establish you in the Lord, I had the right to eat and drink. 
the things that were supplied by the church. He says, I also have the right to take a believing wife and to expect that she be supported too. But look again, back with me, in verse 5. Or we'll start in verse 4. Again, he says, do we have no right to eat or drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? Notice what he says, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, that is the half-brothers of Jesus, and Cephas. So we find that uh, uh, the other apostles, they were married, but Paul was called to a celibate lifestyle. And as we see the call on Paul's life, we see that having a family, it would have been nearly impossible for Paul to do what he did having the responsibility of a family. He would have been much more tied down. He wouldn't have been as free to go on his missionary journeys and to stop and to stay and to be wherever the Lord called him to be whenever the Lord called him to be there if he had been married. So that was the call on Paul's life. But Paul's point is, is don't I have a right? Is it wrong for me to take a wife? And of course the answer is no. It's not wrong. But you see, Paul was not living according to his rights. And that's something I think that is important for us to understand as Americans. That we do have a lot of rights, don't we? And praise the Lord for the rights we do have. And I think they ought to be used. I think they ought to be taken advantage of. But why should they be taken advantage of? Is it so that we can get what we want? Or is there a greater purpose? Look again with me. Paul, after Paul gives the example of, of the soldier who goes to war, he doesn't go at his own expense. In other words, he doesn't pay for the war. And the, the, the one who plants a vineyard, he eats the fruit of it. The one who tends a flock, he, he drinks the milk of the flock and is fed by the flock. And he says, I, I don't say this merely as, as some philosophical new idea because God wrote it in the law that you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. I love what Warren Wearsby pointed out about this verse. He said, oxen can't read. So God didn't write this for the ox. He wrote it for us. Now obviously I think there's an application to where, yes, we need to be kind to our beasts of burden, our oxen, our animals. But the principle is a greater principle here. And that is that the worker is worthy of his wage. And that's the point Paul's getting at. As he says in verse 10, or does he say this altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope. Would you have any motivation to go to work tomorrow if you knew you wouldn't get paid? I wouldn't. I'm staying home. What do you mean? You're not going to pay me to do this labor? Okay, I'll go, I'll go do something else. Find someone that will pay me, right? That's what Paul's saying. Hey, you, you can't take away that hope to receive the fruit of your labor. Because when you do, there's no motive to go out and work. And in verse 11, he says, if we've sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Now, even as Paul is approaching this issue, and even, even as I'm going through it with you, as Paul is bringing this issue to our forefront... There can be a great deal of hesitation, and I think sometimes it's warranted. 
And I think Paul even hesitates to bring this up. Notice Paul didn't bring this up when he first was there. He didn't ask for anything. That's what he just said, right? And he, he, he says uh, uh, in verse 12 that, that if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? So in other words, there were other teachers that came in and did receive aid from them. But he says, nevertheless, we've not used this right, but endured all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So how did Paul use his Christian liberty? And by application, how should we, by his example, learn and understand how we should use our Christian liberty? Paul didn't go about saying, I want what's owed to me, give it to me now, right? And it's sad to me when I see, and usually it's on the television, the TBN or whatever, where they, they, they say, you know, you should, you should give to this ministry and sadly, a lot of times they make false promises that go something like this. If you give $100, God will give you back tenfold. And what they want you to think is, is that, oh, well, ten times a hundred, just pretty simple math, right? You put the zero on the end. I'm going to get $1,000? That's a great investment. And they coerce people through selfish gain to give to their ministry. Even at, the time, at this time, there were many people in Paul's day, in Corinth even, who would walk around and sell their ideologies. They would sell their religious services. And it's sad to me when the church becomes more like a marketplace than a place of prayer. You remember what happened in the temple when Jesus went in, right? He heard the bleeding of the sheep, the noise of the money changers in the outer temple, in the outer court, which was supposed to be a place of prayer for the Gentiles. What did he do? The Bible says he made a whip of cords and he drove the money changers out. He flipped the tables. You know, it's far from our oftentimes, uh, I, I believe, not, not fully and truly depicted idea of Christ where Jesus always did everything with a super soft voice, never offended anybody. That's not true. Jesus went and he flipped tables over. And he did it for the right reasons. Now, that doesn't excuse us, right? Guys, don't go home and when you get mad, flip tables over. That's not okay. It's not okay to just start whipping people either, all right? I believe the application for us is, is that in the church of God, and even a greater application for us personally, because you, if you're a believer this morning, you trust Jesus, right? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean about us? That anything that would hinder us from pursuing the Lord that's in our heart and our mind. We need to drive out with a vengeance. We need to get rid of. Jesus drove it out. And Paul here, when he came to Corinth, he did not want to even have a hint of that flavor to his ministry that he was doing 
ministry for the money. So what did he say? In verse 12, again, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, he said, though we have this right, nevertheless, I have, I, I have not used this right, but what does he say? Endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. If you've been to a wedding recently, you may have heard this phrase. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails, right? And we know Paul writes that later in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. But it's funny because as, as I was reading through this passage specifically where Paul says that, where he says, but he's endured all things, it brought my mind immediately to that verse. And I thought, you know why he endured it? Because he loved him. Because he loves God first and foremost, and he loves his people secondly. The motive for Paul's life was not in what he could get, but was to love God and bring the gospel of God to all those who didn't hear that word hinder in the Greek, in the original language in which it was written, it literally means to cut off or to chop off. And it made me think of those times, and I feel like, and I'm sure it doesn't happen as often as I think it does, but those times when you get cut off in traffic. Anybody like that? Anybody just love being cut off? You've got to slam on your brakes, and you're tempted to say unchristian words, Right? It's funny, I had a real heart check at one point. I was driving, and something happened, and I don't even remember what the situation was. It may have even just been a red light, I don't remember, but I just remember kind of going, ah, oh, dang it. And I hear my four-year-old behind me, oh, those stupid cars! And I'm like, what? No, 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 and, 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 I, and I'm like, you know, she didn't just get that from nowhere. She got it from me. I had a heart check moment, right? Man, Josh, maybe you need to chill out a little bit. Maybe you need to be a little more gracious when you're behind the wheel. But nevertheless, it's not fun. And even cutting people off has caused a lot of accidents, right? And Paul says, you know, in, in, in the, as the gospel is flowing through me to you, and the gospel is doing its work. I don't want to do anything to hinder its progress. I don't want to do anything to pump the brakes of the gospel. I don't want to do anything to cut off its progress. I want to let it go and do its work. So if there's something that I think, man, that could hinder the purpose of the gospel in God's people's lives, I'm not going to do it. Do I have the right to do it? Yeah, sure. But it's not as important as my main goal. You see where Paul's mind is here? You see what his focus is here? It's not on himself, is it? Verse 13, he goes on. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die 
than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So Paul gives us another example. He says, even the priests in the temple, how are they fed? They're fed by the sacrifices that were brought. He says, but I, I don't use these. Look at verse 15 again. Powerful verse. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written the, these things, that it should be done so to me. I love this because Paul's, Paul's pointing out this problem and, and this issue, and he's, and, and he's, he's almost self-defeating in pointing this out, right? Because he's saying, I have not asked for anything. And by saying that, one can almost infer that, well, is he asking for something now, <laughs> right? The, there would be a temptation for the Corinthians to go, well, sure, he didn't ask for anything then, but he sure isn't. Man, he's laying a thick guilt trip on us now. Jeez, Corinthians, why didn't you think about helping me out a little bit? But Paul makes it clear, no, no, that's not my intention. My intention is not so that it should be done to me now. That's not why I'm pointing this out. Why, is he say, why does he say that? Why does he make that so clear? He goes on, For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. What did Paul boast in? It's not in his ministry. He just told them earlier in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians that if anyone glories, let him glory in the Lord. And in his other epistles, he said, I, I, if I boast in anything, I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul's boast was the gospel. It was the work of God. It was the message that God had given him to bring to the world that God had died on their behalf. That Jesus has come to redeem mankind. And Paul says, I am willing to lay down everything for that one purpose to effectively share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the gospel wouldn't be hindered. And he says, I would rather die. Now let me rephrase this a little bit. Because this greatly admonishes me often. And I say admonish in the, in the sense that it corrects me. It rebukes my wrong view when I get my eyes off of the Lord. And I'm going to say it in a way that may be very offensive to our American culture. But I think it's needed for us to understand that we are first and foremost not Americans. Amen? You're an eternal citizen, not just a temporal citizen. You're an eternal citizen of God's kingdom. And a way I think we can rephrase this to apply it to our culture is, as Paul's saying, I would rather die than exercise my rights. 
and the gospel be hindered. I would rather die. That's a powerful statement. You know that game that people often play? Maybe you didn't play it when you were a kid. But it's called Would You Rather? And they give you two terrible options. You know? In that game, Would You Rather, there's not many things that could beat Would You Rather Die or Would You Rather, you know? That's pretty serious. Paul says, I would rather die than anyone should make my glorying in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ void. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, he says, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, or, or not according to my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What then is, what, what, I'm sorry, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Paul was very concerned about abusing his authority. And as an apostle, he had great authority. You know, it's sad to me when I hear of people claiming to be apostles now. And I believe that there are people who do the work, you might say, of an apostle today. But in the truest sense, there are no apostles in that there's no one alive anymore who has seen the resurrected Christ. Right? I mean, you'd have to be really old. You would have to be older than Fred. <laughs> I'm just kidding, brother. I love you. You know, that's how guys say that you love, we love each other. We just, we make fun of each other. That's Fred's love language. So if you ever want to say, hey, Fred, I love you, brother, just make fun of him real quick. You guys will have fun. But you have to be really old to be able to say that, right? No one's alive who has seen our Lord. So in that sense, there are no apostles. We are, we, we are sent out by God to take the message of Christ and his apostles, right? But it's sad to me when we see this in our culture, and they'll, you know, you'll see this guy, and usually they're wearing this really extravagant suit in some overly extravagant background with gold and other things is usually the flavor that carries through this. And they'll say, it's apostle so-and-so. And what are they saying? They're saying, I have a greater authority than the next guy, right? That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to take authority and get people to submit to them. Well, Paul was a true apostle. And what did he do? He was, afra he, he was afraid of his authority in a way. He was fearful that he would abuse the authority that God given, had given him. You know, you'll find the men and women that God used the most are the ones who don't demand that they be in the spotlight. Who say, I am perfectly willing to be nothing for my God as long as my God will be everything. I'm perfectly willing for Christ to be exalted. Think of John the Baptist when Jesus came on the scene, right? I love that. I love what he says. I must decrease, he said, that he may increase. That's the heart of a servant of God. And if you want to 
figure out if someone's sent from the Lord, that'll be their heart. We just want to glorify Jesus. We just want to glorify Jesus. And Paul here saying, I'm offering this without charge. I don't want to abuse my authority in Christ. But look back at verse 16 with me. He says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, you know, I, I, don't, I don't deserve any commendation or reward or pat on the back or a at a boy for preaching the gospel. I don't deserve that. Why? Well, he says it's of necessity that this responsibility is laid upon me. And he goes on to say, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Imagine the world and every person who doesn't know Christ. Because I believe it truly, I, I believe it to be true in a spiritual sense. That they are wandering out in a desert, destitute of hope, without life, and without water. And what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? When he said, give me a drink, and she's like, if you're, you're, you're a Jewish man, and I'm a, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me? And he said, if you would have known who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him to give you a drink. For the water that I give you is living water, and you will never thirst again. Of course, then her ears perked up, right? Perked up. Oh, really? I don't want to come out here every day anymore. How can I get that water? But what was Jesus speaking of? Later on, and that was in chapter five or 4 of, of John, in chapter 7 of John, Jesus stands up during the feast and he says, Come to me, all you who thirst and drink. And if anyone believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Right? And, and so, uh, and after that, John describes that water as the Holy Spirit, right? And we understand this as Christians, as we believe in Christ, God then gives us His Spirit. He fills us with His Spirit. And as we abide in Christ, the natural, uh, the natural thing that will happen because of our faith in Christ is, is the Holy Spirit will, will flow out of us. And the world is lost, destitute, dying, without water. And what do we have? We have rivers of it. And I think Paul viewed himself like that. As he went into the world, you could even say it would be the duty of the man who owned the well in a desert to give water to the man dying of thirst who has lost his way. Wouldn't you agree? How cruel would you have to be to say, no, keep going. And there wouldn't be some great reward for giving someone water in the desert. It would be expected. That's the way we're, we're made, isn't it? We understand that to be true. Even when you, when you hear about uh, firefighters and police officers or just good Samaritans running in to help people, the news media goes around them and says, well, you're a real hero, aren't you? And they'll say, well, I don't think I was really a hero. I just think I was doing what I, I should have done. Right? You hear that all the time. 
from these men and women who risked their lives. They're like, no, I, I, I had to. What do you mean I'm here? I had to do that. They were going to die. <laughs> and Paul says the same thing of the gospel. That, that if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. It's, it's a necessity laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He says, for if I do this of my own will or willingly or of my own choice, I'll have a reward. But if it's not according to my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. And indeed, it's true of all of us that before Christ saved us, we were unwilling, weren't we? Because <laughs> we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God came in and He made a new creature within us. And that's what Paul's saying. Now what was Paul doing when he was knocked to his rear end on the road to Damascus? Was he already willingly serving the Lord? He wasn't, was he? At that time his name was Saul. <laughs> Going to Damascus, breathing threats against Christ's church. And Paul says, no, I've got to. I've been saved I have the living water that this world needs. I have the purpose that this world needs. I've I can't boast in this. Woe is me if I don't offer it to people. Now here's the truth, okay? So you've got this living water in the desert. Can you make people drink? You can't, can you? You know the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? But we are called to go and preach the gospel to every creature. We're called to go and share the good news, the grace of God that we have received. And like Paul, it is truly of necessity that we go and we preach the gospel. I think one thing that in our comfort society we've begun to embrace is to think that being a witness for the gospel is an optional part of the Christian life. When it's not. When I don't share the gospel when I have an opportunity in an open door. Now, listen, we don't always have open doors, right? Right? But when I have an open door and I have an opportunity to share the gospel, am I to share the gospel? What did Jesus say? Preach the gospel to every creature. That was a command, wasn't it? And you know, that may fill you with dread to think that. Oh, I, I'm not bold enough to do that. Neither am I in my own strength. And you know what? Neither was the Apostle Paul because in Ephesians he prays or he asks the church to pray rather that the Lord would give him boldness to speak his word as he ought to speak. I'll close with this story. Kelly and I I think it was last week we went out to the park and there was these five rambunctious kids out there. We brought both of our girls out there, and, you know, it was a, it was a nice day. And, and so we went out, and we, we, we had a picnic. And, uh, um, and so we go out there, and, and at first there was nobody there. It was just us, so we're eating our lunch. 
and these three kids come to the park, and we had seen them before, and they're a pretty rough-looking crew. They can't, they can't pronounce their words all right, you know, which isn't the worst thing. Lydia still mispronounces words. Instead of last night, she'll say laster night. It's funny. But these kids, are, they came, and they're kind of rough-looking, you know. You can tell they come from a rough home, sadly. And then there was these other two girls who came as well. And they were all playing at the park. And um, as they're playing, you know, we're, we're just kind of uh, interacting with them here and there. And, and I'm playing with Lydia. And, and Kelly has a little bell on, on the blanket on the, on the grass. And, and we're all playing. And, and all of a sudden, I just have the thought, you know, I need to, I need to share the gospel with these kids. And I say this to my shame that there was a moment of hesitation. Because my first thought was, well, they're just kids. They're kind of rough. Some, a lot, most of them are rough around the edges. They may not even understand it. But the Lord brought that verse in Mark where he says, preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> I think it's amazing that, you know, I've always wondered why the Lord used creature instead of human being. And maybe it's because in our sinfulness and the way we view people, we can view some people as less than others and unworthy of the gospel. So possibly, I don't know if this is the answer to it, but in that moment, that thought crossed my mind. These kids may not understand it. They probably won't. So why bother, right? And the Lord just hit me. Preach the gospel to every creature. So I start praying. Lord, open up the door. Open up the door. And they start playing on these picnic tables and pretending that these picnic tables are their rooms. And they become very exclusive. No, this is my room. Get out of my room. And the Lord brought to my mind the fact that He's preparing rooms for us in heaven. And through that I said, you know guys, can I share something with you? And they all kind of sat in their rooms on their tables. And I got to share the gospel with them. As I began to share the gospel with them, one of the little girls left, but four of them stayed. And I asked all four of them, do you want to receive Jesus? And all four of them said yes and prayed. What would I have missed if I would have listened to my first instinct? Oh, they're just kids, right? Now, I pray their, their, their prayer was a prayer of faith, and they truly believed in the Lord. But again, I, I don't deserve any commendation. I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. Actually, like I said, I, I say this to my shame that I hesitated, right? <laughs> but we can do that, can't we? We can hesitate and we can think, you know, it may, just, it may not be worth it, but it always is. Even when they reject, even when you lead them to the water and they don't drink, you've still been obedient to the Lord. You've still shared the gospel with them. You've still offered it. And if they want to go on in their sin, then their blood is on their own hands. But I love what Paul says, woe is me if 
I don't preach the gospel. And God's called us to preach the gospel. How many of you guys need boldness like I do? I, I need more boldness. I do. I hesitate too much. I pass up opportunities. And forgive me for keeping you longer than normal. There was this one time I passed these, this couple on the side of the road. I felt like the Lord said, go, go tell them the gospel. And I just kind of was like, eh, hesitated and passed them. The Lord wouldn't let me go. No, I told you to go. So I turned around. And all the while I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, let them please still be there. And they were there. There were these elderly Mexican couple. And I just got out my little pocket Bible and began to read scriptures. And they were like, oh, and they needed gas. So I started giving them a little bit of gas, you know. And they both prayed to receive the Lord. The Lord was gracious. And how awesome would it be if the church, and I'm not just speaking of you, I'm, I, I, I trust you're being good witnesses in your workplace as well. But how awesome would it be if every person who claimed to be a believer just took every opportunity to preach the gospel? Do you think our nation would be a little different? I think it would. So I encourage you guys, step out in faith. Use those liberties that Christ has given you to advance the gospel. We ought not just to use them to accomplish our own desires or our own aim but to pursue the, the gospel and the, and the will of God. So let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love and your mercy. And Lord, we, we ask that you would fill us with you and give us the right perspective on what it means to live out our Christian life and to use the liberties that you've given us. That we would use them for the gospel, not for ourselves selfishly. So Lord, help us, we pray. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, may we abide in you. And just as, as your word says, as we abide in you, you, we will bear much fruit. The one job of the branch is to be plugged into the vine. The rest happens naturally. So Lord, come and fill us. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for your goodness to us. And in your precious name we pray, and we all said, amen.